Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Lainey. It's Joanna. Welcome back to Show Your Work. We're sorry we were on a little bit of a break, but we are here for our season finale. And like we've loaded up now because it's been a minute, right? Like there are so many things that were like, well, that's not good enough now. We have to talk about this. We have to talk about that. Well, I got people to harangue you. Oh, that was so <laughs> unfair. The, how was that? I really wanted to talk about Keanu Reeves, which, yay, we're going to talk about Keanu today, but I needed to make sure that you were on board with it, so I had to get the people. It's not like I had said, no, I won't talk about Keanu Reeves, but somehow you sicked all the people on me. You're like, uh, convinced Duanna. So suddenly every social (laughs) media channel I have is full of people going, Keanu, please, Duanna, Duanna, come on, have a heart. Duanna, let's talk about Keanu. It's... Uh, well, you know you, you always have like a way, like, but what are we going to say? And I don't know, what is there to talk about? Oh, forgive and- me for wanting to make our pro- <laughs> podcast, you know, valid and good. Anyway, everybody, uh, thank you for your harassment of Duanna. Keanu has made it in. And what better way to do our season finale than with the most popular movie star in the world right now? But before we get to Keanu, um, I have a couple of questions. All right, that's for everybody. Oh, okay. So I was at Pride the other day. Mm-hmm. It was my first time. Wait, it was your first time? At Toronto Pride. Ever? No, I've been to Pride, but Toronto Pride. It, but it was your first time at Toronto Pride. On a float. <laughs> okay, let's, no, no, no. Let's soften back this up. Yes. Okay, you've lived other places. You've been to other Prides. I get that. Yeah. Have you ever been to Toronto Pride before? Correct, yes. Okay, like as a... Teenager, whatever, yeah. like wearing just a go and, top yeah. and whatnot, it's fine. Yeah. And to be honest, as a teenager, you just go because everybody else is going there and it's like a fun street party, right? It's amazing. Yeah. You don't half have your friends the, are there or more than yeah. half. Yes. There's no like there's no energy of the spirit where you are understanding the significance of Stonewall. And, you know, you are appreciating where it originated, and all of that. Well, I mean, maybe I'm just that much younger than you that that was impressed upon us all that we knew that. But yes, I take your point. Okay. Well, I am that much older. And back in, like, you know, when I first started, like, passing by Pride and taking the bus down and everybody, like, it wasn't, you know, a thing where we were like, this was started at Stonewall and this is what happened. It was fun and a party. Nor was it, I should say, as big as it is now, right? Like, different... Cities deal with it different ways, yeah. but of course, Toronto is one of those cities that's like big with the corporateness of pride. Right? That's right. There are huge swaths of sidewalk in the financial district, which is otherwise as straight laced as you expect the yes. financial district to be. They're painted rainbow, yep, and like yeah, rainbow stairs yep. and places, and yeah. And Toronto does pride good. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, but it was my first time on a float. Oh, okay. Well, we all the rest of us can relate. <laughs> 
And so before the parade, the floats gather on this road, right? And then like one by one, they ride and drive the parade route. Well, wait, have you been in like a Santa Claus parade before? No. No, who are we Why kidding? would I go to a Santa Claus parade? I'd actively try and avoid the Santa Claus parade. Well, I don't know, like, or as a child, as a girl guide, something? I don't think Nothing? I even went as a child to the Santa Claus parade. My like parents I, would be like, fuck that. I definitely marched as a girl guide at one point. Negative. Um, okay, all right. Anyway, so we were told that like we were going to be, our float was going to be, and we were the last float. We were on a float with Shangela, which, I mean, like, it was so amazing to see people's reaction to Shangela. Like, they got beetled. You know, people reacted to Shangela like back in the day, like back in the day they would react to seeing John Lennon. It was crazy. Anyway, so, but um, we were delayed. We were supposed to be at our, like, point where the people see Shangela um, at, like, four o'clock. And it got delayed by, I don't know, like an hour and a half or something. Right. And the reason why, one of the reasons why is because the prime minister showed up. And because he's the prime minister, they had to do security sweeps and yeah, whatever. And, and you know, he's been a staple of pride, right? Like yeah. Like some of the most iconic pictures of him, of exactly. Justin Trudeau, are of him like in pride and yes. uh, marching uh, with you know, people who are new yeah. Canadian immigrants and all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's a great thing that he does to show up. It's a great thing. And it's also yeah. like, looks like a page out of the Justin Trudeau, like correct textbook, right? Here's the thing though. The reality is when he does show up anywhere, it's like a pain in the ass. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Everything it's has to be done correct. and secure. It is a necessary pain in the ass. Please do not take this as me saying like the security measures should not be in place for the prime minister, but there needs to be security done and all that, and sometimes that can take a while. Yeah, one of the people that we will take any opportunity to mention is Michelle Obama, and she talks about some of that in her book, right? Like about how once you have to do all that security and all those things, yeah, it takes some of the fun and spontaneity out of things. Right. Um, so it got me to thinking as we were waiting around, making sure that the prime minister was safe, and he should be, and that's wonderful. But pause, though. Were you given like water cannons? Like, were you waiting to throw your? Oh, I had my water guns locked and loaded. Okay, trust but me. But you weren't like screwing around to fill the time, just shooting each other. You were waiting. No, to, I was okay. screwing around like to fill the time in other ways. In other ways, like dancing around and being ridiculous. Right. However, it got me to thinking that prime minister or not, I feel like in any industry, whether it's the head of a company or a head of an organization, or a head of a university, anytime the big dog shows up, like, there are delays. Why is that? Well, Did they know? Did they know? Like, you and I have never been the CEO, executive, president, whatever. But, man, like, do they know, like, that people get waylaid and that they're delayed? Of course they know, but it's the very reason that they are welcomed and that there are delays is why they're delays. Because you know why. It's because, yes, yes, security sweeps and all those things, but it's also because when somebody says, oh, oh Mr. Prime Minister or Ms. So-and-so or whatever, like, that they take the time to see those people and, like, acknowledge them, even if they can't talk to each individual person, I'm 
I'm <gasps> saying, or there was somebody, I'm telling you, or there was somebody. The CEO of the company. Yes. Or there was somebody who had to leave at the last thing who needed their attention. Like whether or not it's a fan, but the CEO of the company is ready to leave his desk and go downstairs, which is a 15 minute mission. And, you know, his EA is like, oh, but before you leave, sir. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, we have to go. We have to go. And he's like, sorry, just pause. What is it, Angela? And like Angelou apparently is her name. But like it's taking the time to listen or always having something else to do. It was just interesting to me because we do a podcast about work and we talk about success. And it was the more successful you are, the later you make people. Well, I'm going to throw this right back on you. Like, does Beyonce make people Yes, late? that's where I was going. Yeah. Because your favorite thing from this weekend was the Beyonce's assistant quiz on Twitter. <laughs> My favorite. Right. And they point out that the reason she is late, and one of the choices is, do you make her late or not? And they point out that the reason she's late is because there are, like, fans blocking the streets. And also, given the choice of, do you compromise things and show up on time or be late, you know people are going to wait for you if you are the prime minister or the CEO or, or Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> I I say this, and I think maybe I've spent more time thinking about this because it's me, but you know me. I am, like, obsessive about time and punctuality. I know you just rolled your eyes, so fuck off. I didn't roll my you, eyes. You, like, did the slow, fast blink at once. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I am so clock-oriented, like, to the minute that delays make me crazy. Like, and so I thought to myself, is this a barrier? Like, will I only get to the associate director level of something because I am so uncomfortable being late and making people late? Maybe. Maybe at a certain point you have to kind of confront this philosophy. And I wish you could see the look that I'm getting. She's dead serious about whether this is a career block. Maybe you have to confront this reality, which says at a certain point, you are worth waiting for. Look, you've chaired a bunch of events and you've done a bunch of things. And I know you pride yourself on your professionalism, part of which is showing up on time and being prepared and what. Yeah. I know. But there's this thing that I've been told over and over in screenwriting, which is hard to it's hard to intellectualize, but it's so important. Um, screenwriters notoriously hate deadlines and run up against them and whatever. And this is a show business idiom that I think you might like. And they say, they will remember bad. They won't remember late. Or the other way is true. They won't remember late. They will remember bad. If you show up on time but the performance or the, you know, appearance or whatever it is, is less than it's being expected to be, that's memorable. If you were late, nobody's going to remember that. And nobody thinks that but you about the parade. All they think is <laughs> he was there. It was wonderful. It's another page in the Justin I know. Trudeau I'm probably textbook. the only person obsessing about the time right now. But yeah, it got me to thinking about success and tardiness and punctuality and what happens when you are successful and whether or not, like, you know, not that I have any dreams of being, like, a CEO of anything, but whether or not, yeah, these are some of the things you have to get over. And it makes, it's already making me uncomfortable, imagining, like, 
Imagine, I've never made people late. Like you're holding your head right now. Okay, I want to throw another example at you. Think about Shonda Rhimes and what we know about Shonda. She has things set up such that she's going from writing room to writing room through the day, right? Yeah. Can you foresee, first of all, she wrote in her book that she's sometimes late because she stops to play with her kid. You know what happens? People wait. And then can you foresee a situation when she's supposed to leave the Grey's Anatomy story room at 1230 in order to get to the scandal writing room at one o'clock, allowing for a seven-minute lunch break, um, and something happens just as she's leaving the Gray's room and she stays for another 25 minutes, you can foresee that, yes. right? And what happens in the scandal room? Or, pardon me, not scandal, whatever she's cooking up at Netflix. I don't know. They wait. And they're happy for her arrival when she gets there, yes? I just, how do you shake the feeling? Like, you know, when... When I'm with people who are late, right, and I know we have to be somewhere, like a reservation, I get, like, I'm, I'm thinking about the people who are waiting, and I'm like, I feel so bad for them. They're waiting around. Fuck. We promised them we'd be there. This is so unfair. I guess you have to get over it. A little. Like, I don't think you should be late as a habit. Of course you're saying this. Well, no, excuse me. <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm not, like, a late person. I used to be a late person in that I would show up for a 10 a.m. brunch at 10.15 until a friend of mine said to me, like, fuck off. I mean, 10 (laughs) o'clock. Right. Um, Which is fine and fair and appropriate. That said, if I show up at 10.03 for a 10 a.m. reservation because of an extra traffic light or whatnot, I, uh, like, I don't think if, if my company is worth less than those three minutes to you, then I sort of go... Three minutes is acceptable. I appreciate that. 13 yes. is when I start to judge. Yeah, I'm not, I don't disagree with you. That was a mistake I made in my youth. Any latenesses that I have made in the more recent past, as we know, cannot be blamed on myself. And I believe I show up with photo evidence every time. <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting success conundrum. Share with us your thoughts on lateness and success and the relationship between that, that Yeah, maybe we'll do like a, I don't know, a mini-sode or something at some point in the yeah. summer because I would be interested too to know because I think at some point it is inevitable. Think about like motorcades, right? They travel, things happen. Well, I was at two royal weddings and the start and arrival times were to, miller- to military precision. Okay, but maybe they lacked something in emotional depth. <laughs> How about that? Fine. Fine. Are we ready to get into Keanu? Well, no, because I have one more point to make. Okay. Which is, um, speaking of photo evidence, you and I discovered something this week. Oh, we discovered like a flaw. A flaw in our relationship was exposed. Uh, Yeah, okay. A flaw or an oversight anyway. Mm -hmm. A gap. Yeah, a gap. Yes, for sure. Um, We were asked for a photo of us because somebody is interested in talking about us as a, as a duo and about the podcast and stuff. And we didn't have a photo. <laughs> so we, yeah, we did this feature on like friends who work together. Right. So naturally they would need a picture of us together. Right. That's, that's kind of the like prove that you are <laughs> friends basically. The email comes in and I'm looking at it and I'm like, huh. And you know that feature on iPhone that they have where they, like, they allow you to search by face. So I'm scrolling through the most commonly 
seen faces on my iPhone albums. Okay. And you don't come up. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I punched in your face. I punched in your name. But when you come up, and it's not that often, um, it's often in a group of 12 people, something that's inappropriate. And we're at a Beyonce concert. Or an Adele concert. Right. We're or at the a other concert. Beyonce concert. Yes. Yeah. So we we realized we see each other a lot. We talk all the time. We Daily, text. I think is pretty accurate. <laughs> we text yeah. multiple times a day. Yeah. We exchange emails multiple times a day. And we don't take… In 2019, we've discovered that there are maybe, maybe three photos of us in existence. Two of which happened at your wedding with other people in, in the photo. When I punch in your name in my phone, I have uh, one photo of us from 2008 from when iPhones were not uh, appropriate. <laughs> it was to, taken probably on a BlackBerry. Yeah, probably. Um, several photos of us with other people up through, uh, yeah, oh, here's another concert, Lauren Hill, um, up through 2019. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not good at this. No. At all. We, I can't, like, we both have Instagram accounts. Yep. It's not like we don't do the selfie. We Every now know. and again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, fine. I do selfies. Well, I, I'm trying to do them more, but I, I'm poor at it. Yes. I, I take photos, but you and I have zero photos together. Well, okay. In fact, when you punch together, meaning us on the iPhone together, uh, it tries to say that I am other people just so that I'll be in a photo with you. Like, it's kind of amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's just randos that they're like, maybe yeah. this is Duana Taha. <laughs> Um, anyway, so question for you guys too. How often do you take pictures with your really good friends? As opposed to, yeah, when you're all out and looking amazing, yeah. you're like, oh, let's all take pictures together. How often are you just like, oh, we don't have one recently? Is this something we should have in our calendars, like switching a toothbrush? Or I guess like your work people. Well, that's the thing, right? Like there are occasions more often when you're out with work people or at events where people are like, oh, we should take a photo as opposed to when I come over and insert myself on your couch mm -hmm. and I'm like, please feed me. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, less likely to net said photo. Um, what was I going to say? I think, no, so do you think that we, at the start of their next season, do you think that you and I are going to have more photos together? Are you asking me if we're doing a photo shoot? Because yes, I will do a photo shoot. I think we should do a photo shoot. Right? Wouldn't that be good? Maybe that's what we do, is we do a photo shoot so we have like a set of stock photos together and then we don't take photos again for the next 10 years. But then they're also friend photos. Like we have to have ones where we're ignoring each other mm -hmm. on the couch or whatnot, you know, in sweatshirts because that's our brand. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Are we ready to talk about the world's most popular movie star, Keanu Reeves? Uh, yes. <laughs> See, this is… This is why I had to get people on you. Look at that reaction. Why can't you just say yes? Because you rhymed off that title like it's an acknowledged thing. Where did you find that title? What did you say? The world's most popular movie star. Is that what you said? That is exactly what I said. Okay, go on. I know you. I know you have a stat to back it up. So I'm just providing you with the opportunity to roll it out for me. No, I'm providing you with something you provided me, which is a new article by Angelica Jade Bastien. Um, that was published today, Why We Can't Stop Watching Keanu Reeves 30 Years On. I just want to begin with the premise that, like, there are people we love, but some people don't like. And there are some people we hate, and some people are indifferent. I think Keanu Reeves hits, like, four quadrants. 
everybody's pleasure center in some way. Right? Sure. I I have no argument. Right. Right. Very rare. Yeah. I, I guess the difference is I don't know if Keanu Reeves is anybody's number one. I feel like he's too uh, ephemeral or or too much of an enigma to be anybody's number one. I think he's number one right now. But like number one in people's like passions and hearts, I, that's what I find hard. I feel like it's hard to cling on to Keanu Reeves. Well, I think he makes it hard. He won't. He doesn't want you to cling. I think that's what it is. He's like, get the fuck off of me. I'm disappearing now. Except he would never say such a thing. No, he's too nice. But right. he does it in ways like he isn't going to show up at every party. He isn't going to be that guy who, I know this is a very dated reference, but he's not going to go to the Ivy. <laughs> That is a dated <laughs> reference, but it's kind of charming. But yes, he's right. He's never been playing the game. Yeah. So, but, and I don't want to call it a moment because as Angelica has written in her piece, this is not a moment, it's 30 years. But right now in this time, 2019, with John Wick, Always Be My Maybe, the video game thing, um, and uh, Toy Story 4 being the number one movie at the box office and his role as Duke Boom um, apparently stealing the movie. Um, he is like on this crest, you know, like people have runs, they say, in sports, a streak. And this is definitely we're in the middle of a Keanu Reeves streak. So what you're saying is this is not a moment, it's the movement. I didn't want to be that like cliche, but sure. What do you mean cliche? <laughs> That's Hamilton, bitch. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, this is the... Anyway, but he is, like, the biggest deal right now. Uh, every every few days, someone writes an article about, this is the year of Keanu Reeves, or we love Keanu Reeves for clickbait. I've done it. For traffic, just because I like it. Just because I know people out there want to read Keanu Reeves content, because I enjoy writing Keanu Reeves content. But yeah, this is, if you had asked me to predict it last year, that summer 2019 would be owned by Keanu Reeves, I don't know that I would have come up with that. I think part of it, of course, is because of those projects that you just listed and the like vast diversity. And obviously we want to play into a couple of them, but can you just rhyme them off again in rapid succession the way you did? John Wick 3, Always Be My Maybe, this video game thing, Toy Story 4. Right, so <laughs> John Wick 3, yep. um, which we get, we know what that is. John Wick 3, Chapter 3, Parabellum, uh, and then Toy Story 4, mm -hmm. which it's a 4. It shouldn't be, Keanu Reeves is not the only reason that Toy Story 4 is getting oh, great God, reviews, no. but a 4 traditionally is not like a great bastion of cinema, but yeah, yeah. everybody's saying it's amazing, yep. right? And then always be my maybe, in which, of course, he is, like, punking himself. Yes. Plus half a dozen other titles on his IMDb that are either announced or uh, rumored, but, you know, Past Midnight, uh, Rain is a TV miniseries, John Wick 4, Rally Car, uh, Bill and Ted again. So it, he can't be quantified. This is part of it. He can't be pinned down. Yeah. You don't know. He's so unpredictable. You don't know. Like, would anyone have guessed that he'd show up in Toy Story 4 um, and always be my maybe? 
Well, you know, I wouldn't have. I sort of, in my mind, while I always found Keanu Reeves palatable and enjoyable, no, I had him in the John Wick corridor, Matrix, Neo, uh, ephemeral, like, who asked him recently what's going to happen when we die? And he said the most, like, sort of wonderful, wonderful, but like, uh, not comedic on a late night show. Was it? Colbert. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was like, what's going to happen when we die? And he was like, people on earth will miss us. And you're like, oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Like he's, yeah, that was. You didn't think that that was the answer. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but it's like, yeah, it's that thing where he's sort of somehow everybody's teddy bear and also refuses to be a pinup, but those two things Mm -hmm. actually amplify each other. Right. Um, but yes, I had those all in the same quadrant, if you will, to use your language. Right. And I was not expecting Toy Story 4, and I was mm-hmm. not expecting uh, Always Be My Maybe either. Well, even John Wick, when it came out, was like niche, right? The first one was a niche film. Sure. It wasn't expected to, you know, be the three going on four franchise film that it has become. It was obviously really well made for its genre. Like, you know, there is a conceit there. You're not supposed to care about the story. They're really only setting up a movie for brilliant action sequences. Right, right, right. Um, and all that. And then it, it became like the cult thing that was like, we have to do another one. The, the other one, like the next one happened to be just as high quality. And then the third one was like really, really great. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're all of a type, right? Like mm-hmm. it's… <clears throat> he does some weird fucking shit. He does, but it's very clearly for his own volition. Like, it's not to serve the Keanu Reeves fans. Um, And I'm sort of browsing his IMDb, which is more complex than it is for most actors. Like, most things you're like, oh, yeah, that and this. And there's so many things that I don't know or recognize. The Neon Demon, for example, in 2016, that could go in any quadrant, as far as we know. Uh, A Very Bad Day in 2017. That could be any old, we don't know what that is. Um, And uh, the tagline for that one is happening of monumental proportions. Okay, sure. Directed by Judy Greer. Yeah, why not? Like what? (laughs) Um, With Kumail Nanjiani and Bradley Whitford. But then there's also, and maybe this was the beginning of the Keanu Reeves renaissance, In 2018, there was a movie that was released that didn't get a ton of attention, but got some some blog attention, for lack of a better word, and that, of course, was Destination Wedding. It's a terrible movie. You saw it. It's really bad. Did you pay money to see it? Did you go to the theater? I did not. Okay. Yeah. You rented. I did. Yeah. It wasn't even… By rented, I mean sat on your couch and called it up. It wasn't even available in, like, the big theater chain here in Toronto at least. Right. Like it was in the secondary chain. Right, right, right. Like from Jump. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, I was given a DVD gift. (laughs) I mean, even the fact that he has movies that still come out on a physical DVD, that's amazing. And it's really bad. Like really bad. But it doesn't matter. But is that the movie that reignited people who aren't watching John Wick to Keanu Reeves? I don't think so. Oh, you don't? I don't think so. I think, you know what's interesting about a Keanu Reeves versus a Johnny Depp, for example? Uh Uh-huh. Is… Well, do you want a list? (laughs) One of the things is that 
movies with a Johnny Depp, if they tank, like if you say that's a fucking terrible movie, so bad, um, then the Hollywood Reporter and the Variety articles are like, is Johnny Depp worth it anymore? Tom Cruise, for example. Can Tom Cruise open a movie anymore? We don't, we don't have to read those headlines about Keanu Reeves. Like, you know, if John Wick 3 hadn't done well, the storyline wouldn't be, can Keanu Reeves open movies anymore? Oh, no. Because he, that's not the expectation. He divorced himself from the box office. First of all- Isn't that amazing? How did he do that? <laughs> right? That's what I mean. How did he do that? Because you're right. He, long ago, he stopped caring, stopped- It's not that he stopped promoting- but he definitely promotes based on what he feels like talking about and not whether he's trying to get asses in seats for opening weekend. And right? it's not like it wasn't there. If you talk about speed, if you talk about the Matrix movies, this is someone who's known to, to open, to have blockbuster hits. But it doesn't stick to him. Like, it doesn't stay with him um, the way that it stays with, like, the Tom Cruises and the Johnnies because, yes they only sign on to movies that like have these crazy budgets or, you know, come with this thing where how are they going to open? Is it an opening weekend movie? But fuck, Keanu Reeves, like he, he got away from it and it's so smart and subtly that it's so subtle. It's very subtle. Oh, I'm also scrolling through here and looking for, um, I can't think of the last time that Keanu Reeves was doing something that was award show bait. And that might be part of it. He doesn't have to campaign in that mm -hmm. way. He doesn't have to play the studio game. Nope. And suck dicks of, um, you know, un unsavory people. No. Nope. Um, so that might be part of the reason that he's sort of very uh, above the whole thing. But, like, what's interesting is that then there are the studios, like Kevin... Um, Feige, you know, the head of yeah, Marvel, yeah. Mm -hmm. has said, is on record as saying, every movie we make, we would like to talk to Keanu Reeves. And we haven't found anything that's right, but whatever movie we're working on, we're thinking of him and we're talking to him. Like, that's crazy. That is crazy, but I also love that they're pointing out that not everything is for him, nor is he going to jump at everything no. that is for him. And it is actually kind of a joy to walk through his IMDb because there are so many things, there are lots of things you recognize, and then there are things that you don't like. Uh, for example, Swedish dicks. <laughs> what? From 2016 to 2018, Keanu Reeves plays Tex in a series called Swedish Dicks. Has anyone heard of a show called... Did you... I mean, you're in series production. Have yeah. you heard of, like, Swedish Dicks? No. And, I mean, this is part of the uh, 500 scripted series on TV now. It's hard to know everything that's on. The synopsis is two unlicensed Swedish private investigators try to make a living in Los Angeles. <laughs> like, by anybody's description... Before I ever say the words Keanu Reeves, that is off fucking beat, right? Yeah. That as a pitch. Yeah. If I walked into a studio today and pitched that, they'd be like, get out of here. And I'd be like, I have Keanu Reeves. Yep. Um, he's choosing things that are unusual, yep. to say the least, right? Yep. And that maybe keeps him fresh, keeps him 
you know, from being a, a stereotype of his own thing. Yep. P.S. This year is the 20th anniversary of The Matrix. I mean, that's just bananas. Yeah. Because he also doesn't seem like he's aged, right? Which means that this year is also the 25th anniversary of Speed. Oh. Which is a movie I love. And isn't Bill and Ted, isn't part of the reason they're doing the revival because there's an anniversary of some sort there as well? Something about the 30th? 30th. That, right? Let's we, see. Yes, yes. It would you're be right. it did, would, I think 1990? I think it, it was, was I want to say 88, but um yes, Bill and Ted's wait, hang on. 1989, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. 30 years. 30 is too many. But yes, okay, I appreciate that. Um, um and yeah, remember when that first happened, people were like, well, this dummy is gonna be like <laughs> He's going to star in some dumb movies, and he had that same role in, like, Parenthood and so forth. Look, I think that different people have their different Keanu Reeves touchstones, right? For some, it's Bill and Ted. Yeah. The other, like, we've mentioned Matrix. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, it was Neo. And Speed, as you say. Yeah. A lot of people, for a lot of people, it's My Private Idaho. That's an excellent point, yes, which is one of those movies that uh, was before its time a little bit, right? Yeah. Can you think if that movie had come out another 10 years later? Well, you know, what's interesting to me is we just listed like Point Break and, oh no, we didn't list Point Break, but, because I'm thinking about it, but um, we listed Matrix, we listed Bill and Ted's, Point Break and My Own Private Idaho came out the same year, 1991. And Speed was actually a couple years after that. So he does this, like, surfer movie and is super fucking hot. Yes. Like Oh, super hot. Like, oh, he's so hot in this movie, Patrick Swayze. It's like, it is probably, like, one of the most well-known movies from the 90s. Uh, it certainly defined movies yeah. in the early 90s. How about that? People know Keanu Reeves. Yes, but you have left out arguably the most important Keanu Reeves touchstone. What? In the Paula Abdul video for Rush. Right. Rush. What was what year was that? That was also 91. Okay. So you've got like, you know, these two hunky roles. Yep. And then he goes and does Gus Van Sant's My Private uh, My Own Private Idaho, like which is I mean, it's become one of the classic films like I mean, the Criterion Collection yeah, films yeah, or yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at that time in his career, he's beautiful, he's action, he's cool, and he goes and does a small film about two hustlers that is pretty fucking radical and controversial in its time, right? Oh, very much so. Very much so at that time. And... And I don't know, there's a certain bravery to that? Well, I keep thinking about, we have uh, talked about and heard people who talk about their agents telling them, don't do this, right? Yeah. The one that always comes to mind for me, we've been joined by your dog. The one that always comes to mind for me is uh, Christina Hendricks' agents telling her, don't take Mad Men. That's going nowhere. Right. And when she did, they dropped her. Right. Can you imagine, this is back, when you talk about my own private Idaho and- uh, Bill and Ted and Point Break. This is back when movies had money. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you imagine his team of agents and managers going, you're going to do what now? Yeah. 
like you're going to do an indie movie. Yeah. Indie movie didn't mean what indie movie means no. now or even 10 years ago. Yeah. It was like you're going to go and waste three yeah. months of viable, like bankable time. With a script that is like legendarily, they're still working on it. It's a Van Sant like production. So it's not exactly like you don't have this script that has been like noted by industry executives where they're making notes and sending it back and forth. It was really experimental. Yeah, well, absolutely, especially… As indie films are often. that wasn't so common then. Like, years later, then there would be, you know, things in the echo of my own private Mm -hmm. Idaho, right? And, like, a whole generation of us grew up on stuff like, uh, you know, Clerks and uh, Before Sunrise and all those kinds of things. But this was not done then. I will say, though, that because uh, River Phoenix died, you know, a couple of years after my own private Idaho. And because like River Phoenix was known to be the Oscar nominated actor at the time and like they were calling him maybe the next whatever, Keanu's performance in my own private Idaho is a little bit overshadowed by Rivers. River like River had the more quote, I'm putting this in air quote, challenging role. Yeah, and look, like it's it's apples and elephants a little bit. But yes. River Phoenix was River Phoenix when he was twelve years old. Yeah, right. Like that's we all know this, and and whatever. But yeah, no, I don't think. Okay, well, I don't think that it is unfair to say that in the early nineties, up to and including Speed, I feel like late night comedians got a lot of mileage out of Keanu Reeves doesn't have so much range. Look, I still sometimes get some mileage out of Keanu Reeves's acting. But that was, <laughs> yeah, sure. But, but that was a, but you agree with me, that was like a trope, right? Yeah. Like that was a thing yeah, yeah, that yeah. was said. Yeah. yeah. Now it's become like this endearing thing about him. Like, you know, he's not going to be fucking Daniel Day-Lewis, but not everybody can do what he can do either. For sure. Yeah. But there does seem to be a thing of like, yeah, no matter how different the role, like in a way he has the career that everybody says they want. Mm-hmm. All the different yes. roles, right? From action to drama to rom-com. Like I'm just, no matter where I scroll on this enormous list, there is something to to look at. There's Feeling Minnesota and The Replacements and also Something's Gotta Give and Sweet November. Which we've referenced before when we talked about Charlize Theron. Yeah. There's The Private Lives of Pippa Lee. There's, um, you know, God, so many things. Uh, there's when he was a voice in Keanu, the movie. I, like, first the- of all, yes. But he'll agree to that shit. Keanu will call him up and they'll be like, we're writing this comedy about our missing cat. And we're going to call this cat Keanu. <laughs> I, yeah. Or like. And he'd be like, okay. I was looking at something that looked vaguely familiar. I'm looking at To the Bone, where he mm. plays a doctor. And I was like, what is that again? So To the Bone is a, um, was a personal project for Marty Noxon about living with anorexia starring Lily Collins. And it was low key to begin with. And Lily Collins is very, very much the star of it. And Keanu Reeves is playing the doctor, i.e. basically the adult on this show. But he's like, yeah, sure, I'll show up. Yeah. Like, what? Really? What is that? I know. Look, I mean, we could be here all day. People have personal touchstones with Keanu Reeves. And of course, we must have. Like, what is your thing? 
Keanu Reeves thing. Instantly, uh, point break at sleepovers and rush, rush. No joke. Like, no (laughs) question. (laughs) That is so on brand for you. Yes, that's exactly right. So on brand. For me, I think it's Parenthood, the film. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Like, he plays Martha Plimpton's boyfriend. Yes, like a dirt ball. A dirt ball and like a bonehead. With a heart of gold. With a heart of gold. Um, and he has this one scene, which I think is quite famously quoted. It is very well known, yes. Where he's um, talking to Diane Weist, who plays Martha's mother. Mm-hmm. And he's like, something to the effect of, you know, you need a license to drive, you need a license to go fishing, but they'll let any jackass be a father. Or something like that. I believe it was asshole, because that was very, like… Right dramatic in a PG movie, you know? Yeah. And then it was like a profound statement. And then he does the shake, you know, the patented Keanu Reeves shake. Like, oh, what just came over me? I got my brain back and I actually don't have one. And then like saunters off and like bashes his head against the wall or something. Right. Like that was the first time he really permeated your consciousness. Yeah. I, I, that was the first time. I mean, listen, I was a bit younger, but he was exactly the kind of guy I wanted to fall in love with. Right. <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah. I, I, he and Martha Plimpton, if I remember, spend most of that movie fucking too. So and making out and whatever. And I, yeah. Anyway, so Parenthood for me, it was like, is my like the beginning. Right. So here he is and he's Keanu Reeves and he's had this creative career, but you know, he'll choose all kinds of things, but to me, it still takes balls to ask. Um, you submit scripts all over the place. Uh, they submit him Destination Wedding, and he says, sure. Or yeah. Swedish Dicks, which in yeah. the interim I've researched is actually a Swedish TV show. Great. Um, whatever. But I want to talk about Always Be My Maybe mm-hmm. because he's playing himself. Yes. And it is a real send-up. Well, you, as you said, he's punking himself. He's punking himself, but it's also not… Sometimes when those roles happen in movies, and I'm drawing a blank on other ones, they're usually a three-liner, right? The person who is mocking themselves shows up for two or three lines, uh, or they acknowledge the the homage. Like, I think Anna Wintour during Devil Wears Prada sort of, like, smiled a bit esoterically at the idea that Miranda Priestly was an homage, right? right? And they move on. Keanu Reeves is on screen for like 14 to 17 minutes. Yeah. It's like a lengthy, good amount of time. And digs in. Digs in. And imagine writing that scene, you know, as writers, because uh, it, of course, was uh, Ali Wong and Randall Park, mm-hmm. but also their co-writer, uh, whose name will be found any second now. Uh, their co-writer's name is uh, Michael Golomko. So you write that hoping that it'll be Keanu Reeves. But imagine, like, how do you not hold yourself back and go, Ugh, which joke is going to offend? Oh, is this okay? Is this not? Like, they go all the way with it. Yeah, and then it turns out he's a fan of Ali's, and he comes in and he has thoughts on the script in which he says he, you know, wants it to be more and starts ad-libbing and improvising his own jokes. Like the whole thing about the Chinese dictators or whatever, that's him. That was his? Yes. Nice. <laughs> nice. I, yeah, I'm impressed. Um, so 
yeah, you're right. The ask, it has to be. But like now that this has happened, that it's now legend that Allie and Randall asked for him to be in Always Be My Maybe, and then you can go to either Key and Peele for Keanu. Now is everybody going to be thinking of something off the wall? Like they asked him to be in the video game. Right. And he was like, okay. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, And of course, he's in Toy Story. Yeah. And I don't want to be disingenuous and imply that it's people sidling up to each other at a restaurant. It all goes through agents and agencies. Yes. And often, uh, if you're represented by the same agency, you have a 90% better chance, right? Like, without looking, I would say that these guys are all repped by CAA or UTA or whoever. Look, as much as Keanu Reeves is definitely, like, not of the mold and doesn't follow a formula, he 100% is represented by… Very important people, like some of the most important people at his agency. Like he's not going with like the one agent who reps only him. Do you know what I mean? absolutely. Someone like him still needs part of the ecosystem around him, if only just to like make sure that he does get the best deals and doesn't have to like fucking sift through the shit himself. Of, well, of course, because they need to know what to send to his airstream in the middle of the Joshua tree or yeah. wherever he is. Um, but yeah, it, he and director Nanashka Khan are both represented by WME, William Morris Endeavor. So that makes it an easier ask. It's sort of uh, a, a bit of that packaging that we've talked about before. Of course. He's Patrick Whitesell. Right. So, um, but yeah, within those, within those agencies, you can send back and forth a little bit more easily than you can if you are outside. And as I say, nobody's sidling up to anybody at the aforementioned Ivy. You know, what's interesting though, is that you mentioned the Airstream (laughs) or sending it to him wherever. There is somebody who operates in a similar fashion. We've all heard the stories about Bill Murray. Yes. So, you know, to get in touch with Bill Murray, the legend goes, you have to call this random number and leave a voice message. Um, And then he, (laughs) it sounds very old fashioned in today's world. Like some kids don't even know what that is, like a voice message. And then he phones in and like, we'll check it. And either if you don't get a call back, then it's a no. Yeah. I've even heard that, uh, I've even heard it described that if he happens to be there when you call, like as though it's going to a physical voicemail at his house, uh, then great. If he picks up, maybe you can talk to him. If he doesn't, then maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Keanu Reeves operates in a – he's not operating that far off the grid, but he is definitely quirky in his choices. Yeah. And it has benefited him enough. The phone is still ringing, clearly. Clearly. Um, that it's – that that's great. So, but the elephant in the room, as there's always an elephant in the room, he's 54. Mm-hmm. He's still beautiful. Mm-hmm. Some of his contemporaries. He's, he tries not to be beautiful, actively, I feel, but he is. Uh, he's beautiful. Like, and yeah. I don't mean hot and I don't mean sexy, although he is those things also. He's like a picture to look at. Yes. Um. You know, would that, like, I mean, would that, if that were not the case, would some of these roles go away? Probably, right? Oh, yeah. Like, there are contemporaries. Um, John Wick would go away. 
Yeah, among others. They're contemporaries of both genders. Like, even Always Be My Maybe, uh, you need to believe that uh, Ali Wong's uh, Sasha, Sasha, pardon me, uh, Sasha and I had a discussion about their pronunciation of it, uh, wants to be with this dude. And in order for you to believe that her at 36 is into this dude at 54, he has to be that hot. Yeah. So I just, I don't even have a bigger point. I just want to acknowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. That his physicality is carrying part of what's happening here. Although, obviously, not in the case of, like, Toy Story 4 or being the voice in Keanu. 100%. And I also think that, like, okay, here's what I have noticed. Is his beard is graying. His hair isn't gray. I mean, okay. So, I know, like, we what we think of Keanu Reeves, he's, there's no vanity... Is he coloring his hair? I mean, he may, but beards often color in a different way. Anyway, do you ever meet a guy who has just like a patch of red in an otherwise brown beard or something? Okay, so you're telling me that at 54, you don't think Keanu Reeves is graying naturally, that he still has like… No, I think he may well be, absolutely. I'm not saying that at all. So but he's, my point is, is that he, if he does color his hair, he's aware of it. Sure, sure. Like, Oh, you mean aware of like, I got to keep up my face? I, at least I… At least, like, something about my appearance is appealing, of, right? of a priority to me, or I'm, I have to be, like, caring for, of it. Okay, sure. But if in six years' time, when he is 60, my good Lord, if he suddenly walks out with a head of silver hair, I don't think that's going to hurt him one iota. Oh, I don't either. But I, I hit none, as you mentioned, none of his contemporaries are gray either. Well, George Clooney is gray, but, you know, they always operated in different arenas. Clooney might have been a teenage star, but wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, George Clooney has maybe been old before his time, but you're right. There's nobody who came up in that same era who is, uh, I don't know, I'd have to look at the Estevezes and Sheens yeah. and see what they're doing with their hair these days. But. Also, I don't think that Keanu Reeves has ever, like, he's not directing. No, you know, that's, no, that's an excellent right? point. He's making few moves, as far as we know, to be behind the camera. Like, he has, he is in charge, or at least entrepreneurial with art. Like, he's got, like, a small publishing house. And they do like of course beautiful, he does. And, right. And they do like beautiful art books and poetry books. Right. Um, and he manages to do it like, you know, I know you said of course he does, but I don't like eye roll at that either because it's not like he's James Francoing himself with that in the same respect. Like Well, or the more apt reference in this context, sorry to cut you off, and it pains me to say this, but it's not like he's Ethan Hawking himself. There you go. Ugh. I, I, I know I, that hurts you, but it does. correct, right? Oh, yeah. Like, he doesn't step up to an interview and start, like, answering things in haiku. <clears throat> um, but you feel like he could, don't you think? Every time <laughs> Keanu Reeves walks out, you're like, maybe this time he will. That's the thing about him. And that would go viral and be amazing and not be, like, received with an eye roll because it, it just wouldn't come across that way. But, yes, he does have entrepreneurial... Um, avenues with like the printing house and all that. But he's not like, we're not hearing about his production company acquiring the rights to this book and that book and he's producing and he's going to write and direct and whatever. He's he's not in there like that. 
No, you're right. You're absolutely right. He isn't. He is… I'm sure he's produced some things, but it doesn't… He doesn't lead with it. That's not how he's trying to rewrite his story. No. And so, you know, I I agree with you no matter what, but in this context, but are you trying to draw a line between his face or the maintenance thereof and the fact that he's not doing stuff behind the scenes? Yeah, I think that that was the initial connection, especially related to the George Clooney comparison, right? Because you're saying, like, you know, it was about graying and I was, then I came in with, like, well, George Clooney, like, on a set is the older, like, the captain. Right. Right? And Keanu Reeves, for all of his leadership skills, and I'm sure he has many, has never asserted himself as part of his identity and brand as the captain. No, and there are several projects here that uh, where he's listed as producer, uh, including five or six upcoming. Uh, he has one directing credit, Man of Tai Chi, in 2013. Ah, right. But yes, it's not his overall no. thing. Yes. And I think that that, too, is part of his appeal. I'm looking at you right now and your eyes just bugged out. So you're looking at something that is really amusing you. Well, I just, I went too deep uh, in the other credits on IMDb. And uh, as I said, there's that one directing credit and several producing credits. uh, And then there's a, (laughs) under soundtrack, there are five listings. Uh And uh, it's Sweet November, performer time after time. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do we now... (laughs) <laughs> I'm just going to need a minute. Okay. <laughs> um, oh my, okay. Are we going to have to listen to this? Oh my gosh. Okay. Are you ready? I I think so. 8,200. I'm all ready. The passing years will show. First of all, I thought it was the Cindy Lauper time after time. So did I. That's why I thought I couldn't remember it. This is not that. Um. I love him. But doesn't does that doesn't that enhance like, all the random shit we've been complimenting him for? Uh, yes, look, he is a delightful as I said, I wasn't wrong at the beginning. He's an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Yeah. There's nothing that can surprise you anymore. If the next entry on his IMDb was Keanu Reeves is on chopped, I'd be like, <laughs> "Yep, <Yeah>, okay." Like <laughs> Right. Um but, you know, you opened this discussion with, what did you say, the world's favorite Most popular movie star? Which has to be backed up by box office, right? Like, there's got to be a reason that those were the words chosen. He's just, he's just that guy who, yeah. like, is like, I just don't think about it too hard, man. It all comes together. And you believe him. Yes, I do. I because, do believe him. Because they all say that. And you don't believe it from No, that. no, Bradley Cooper. I will never believe you. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, no, Keanu Reeves is just sort of falling into this life. So where do you see Keanu Reeves at 60 then? You mentioned in six years, he's going to be 60. Mm-hmm. What's he doing? 
I think he might, I mean, I find it most notable that, yeah, he has, it seems almost deliberate that he stayed away from award show bait, from important movies, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's actively not in those. That said, I think he's going to be ripe for an, a, 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 like a drama that is about some feelings. Uh, Keanu Reeves is about ready to play a dad, obviously, but I don't right. mean like a, like I'm seeing him as a former drug addict dad who is trying to reconnect with his uh, daughter before she moves away, whatever, something right. like that. Gina Rodriguez plays his daughter and they make that happen, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, it's the, uh, you know, Kristen Bell and was it Kelsey Grammer made that movie? And uh or Seth Rogen and Barbara Streisand yeah. in that movie. That kind of thing. So is it a comedy? Maybe. A bit. Okay. Uh, something like okay. that. Because what he's done so many other things. Right. Um, but not played a dad. I don't know. Like, And I'm not craving for him to play a dad, but maybe I'll be interested in seeing him play somebody complicated. Right. Because a lot of his... People aren't. <laughs> right. Right. That's a really, really diplomatic and nice way of saying it, Joanna. Thank you. Um, what are your hopes? Well, I mean, I want to see where this Marvel rumoring goes because it's the Eternals. It's their, like, next big project. Um, one thing that people have pointed out that I would like us to underscore is that unlike many of his contemporaries… Um, he has worked with female directors. Oh, oh. Point break if we, you know, want to talk, um, if we want to talk like big time movie on a big project, um, that is like a huge movie for him. And of course we know that that's famously directed by Catherine Bigelow. Um, and so to go back to the female director thing, I think that he, and of course, recently, Nanachka Khan, Nanachka Khan, um, but uh, Chloe Zhao is an up-and-coming young woman, female director, who is at the helm of the Eternals, and I think that would be the biggest draw, if there is a draw, if Marvel really wants him, what his interest would be. I think he'd be curious to work with a director like that on a film franchise like this. Now, it's a franchise, so that's a fucking decade. But it didn't stop him before. He's done some franchises. He knows what's involved. I mean, he could have the pull to be like, I don't want to sign up for six movies, so uh, you get me for one. Yeah, make it work. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's so funny that you point out that he's worked with female directors because, yes, absolutely. And yet, without taking away from your point, I also go, well, of course he's Keanu Reeves. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't see a drop of ego coming off him. Yep the way you know that you would have trouble with other people. If you walked onto a set tomorrow to direct, you know who you'd have difficulty with. Yeah. And who would pretend that they would be easy but not actually be. And he's neither of those people. No. He would be, and I've worked with those actors in varying states of fame before, and they're just like, I'll just be over here. Let me know when you need me. Yep. And they're like, hey, hey, what do you need? And then otherwise they're like, I'm just chill. I'm good. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a fucking gush fest or anything, but… But, here we are. But again, to your point, you can't not have this conversation without 
the comparison to his peers, the other big-ass movie stars who came up around the same time. And he happens to have these things that go subtly unappreciated. Right, because they're just standard. Because I think he that's doesn't like, is that redundant, subtle, and unappreciated? Well, I know what you mean, though. They, they're under the radar. Yeah. And that's partly because he doesn't spend every day in every press interview talking all about them. I guess, though, to me, I wrap up a little bit where we began, which is he has this incredibly diverse resume. He seems to do it all with utter kind of shrugging, for lack of a better word, uh, just kind of taking it all in stride. But is that thing where he can kind of be anything and it's no big deal, is that the same thing that makes him unable to be somebody's favorite actor, like, that they're a huge fan of? Does he give us so little that he'll never be a straight-up, like, he's unquestionably an A-lister if we're still using that word, but he's not an A-lister in the same way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I wonder, like, not to not answer the question, but I wonder if that's where you want to be. I think that's where you want to be as an actor. but There's no pressure. No, but I think a lot of people want to be a celebrity, and that's different. Yeah. And I always think about, you know, uh, my mom or my mother-in-law could answer five trivia facts about George Clooney or Tom Cruise or, uh, you know, but I I think they'd be hard-pressed to say one thing about Keanu Reeves. Yep. And I guess the question in the end is, yeah, is that by design? I think so. Who has that foresight? I don't know. Keanu Reeves. I, I don't even think it's foresight. It's just like... I know what I want and I know what I don't want. Like, it, 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 I don't think that's, I think that's the beauty of it maybe is that there was no strategic, deliberate attempt to avoid it. So is that what we call like self-possessed? Yeah. Because that's some therapy shit right I there. I know. I mean, listen, we know virtually nothing about his personal life. Mm-hmm. Like, we know a couple yeah, of very pieces, sad things. But yeah. But by no means can we, like, make any real, like, character study, right? No. Which is why he can punk himself in Always Be My Maybe because, ah, right? You just hit on it. What? When you are nothing as a person, as a personality, yeah. you can be anything on screen. Well, that's, When you're an enigma, yes. right? But that's, I think, what they all attempt to do. We don't give interviews. Don't ask me personal questions. That's Leonardo DiCaprio's very famous mantra. Yeah, but that's after they've given it all away for (laughs) decades. Yeah. Like, yeah. But from the very beginning, I guess. Maybe that's what it is, the self-possessed thing. Can I just share one last thing, though, before we move on from Keanu Reeves? Go. Of course, I was like… I went into this, like, YouTube deep dive about him over the last few weeks, and I came across this talk show bit that he did with Jimmy Fallon. It was either Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. And (laughs) not that I, yeah, they're distinct, but I've watched so many lately. And he tells the story about how at the beginning of his career, because his name is Keanu Reeves, which, you know, is in your wheelhouse… And remember, this is in the 80s or whatnot. They were like, Keanu Reeves is really not a name we can make to go famous. So can you make up another one? Like, I don't know, John Duke. Oh, you know what the name was supposed to be. I know, Chuck Spadina. Right. And 
He's telling this story to a Jimmy. Yes. And there's no follow-up. It made me, like, again, it was one of those things where I was, like, pounding my desk. And this is very Torontonian of me, which that's why I'm telling you. Um, There was no, like, Chuck Spadina? What's Spadina? Like, there was no, like... Let me ask you, what's the origin of the word Spadina? Of they course, didn't even say it rhymes with a female body part? No. Nothing? Like, for those of you not from Toronto or have never been to Toronto, Spadina Avenue is a major road street in downtown Toronto. Yeah, a thoroughfare. Yes. And so, because Keanu Reeves grew up in Toronto, his, like, name, his fake name that he wanted was Chuck Spadina. Chuck because his middle name is Charles. That's right. So Spadina was like this connection to Toronto, and yet there was like no follow-up. Like American people who interview him about this aren't like, where did Spadina come from? Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. I thought that you would appreciate that. I do, and I appreciate that after all these years, he continues to identify as Canadian. Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So, we just talked about Keanu Reeves, who I said was like a four quadrant star. Mm-hmm. And there's someone else I. Who, and there's someone else who I think is also a four-quadrant celebrity. Mm-hmm. I think that's Rihanna. Right. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. Uh, I love this discussion. I've been waiting to have it. But it's interesting because my first thought was, oh, with those two, uh, with Keanu and uh, Rihanna, we'll have two one-name celebrities in, in the show. And then I went to an article that we are going to talk about in more depth that's kind of the the backbone of this discussion, and it says something that really surprises me. Uh, there's a bracket in the second line, and it says, uh, Robin Rihanna Fenty, whose name is pronounced Rihanna, not Rihanna, as she recently clarified. Ah. And I was surprised. Yeah, okay. I mean, as somebody whose name also lends itself to that construction, I'm sure she will answer to both as I will answer to both. Yeah. And you have to filter that through her own accent as I filter my name through my parents' accent. Like, I think it's correct when they say it, which is not really North American achievable. Yeah. But interesting. It is interesting. Okay, so Rihanna. According to Forbes. Yep. I believe it. I Yeah. That also means that, like, Seth Meyers, who did day drinking with her recently, kept calling her Rihanna. Well, this is, <laughs> I guess, my point. Like, millions of people call her Rihanna. We've seen her announced on shows as Rihanna for years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she answers to both at this point, or Riri, or whatever people want to say. But I just found that it was an interesting correction. Rihanna it is. I guess. Sure. Um, Rihanna, like is one of those people who, if you're older, you like her. If you're younger, of course you like her. If you are gay, you like her. If you're straight, you like her. If you're a dude, you like her. If you're a woman, you like her. If you uh, identify as they, you like her. Like, she hits everybody somewhere. 
Yeah, uh, below a certain point, right? Because she is, as this article also points out, still only 31. Uh, yeah. I think she hasn't reached penetration uh, of, you know, the Gen Xers who are now super old, let alone the baby boomers, right? You don't think she's hit a Gen Xer? It depends who you identify as a Gen Xer. Gen Xers are supposed to be born in like the mid-60s. Uh, maybe. I just don't know if they know. Let me put it another way. I don't know if Gen Xers know that she is a four-quadrant star. Is that fair? Sure, but I, what I mean is that, like, they nobody, like, goes, ugh, Rihanna. No, 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 for sure. Rihanna. <laughs> I, I know, it's so hard. Um, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I think they're part of the reason that she hits everybody somewhere is because there's a lot of things to like, right? Yeah. Whether you are into her acting or her music or her fashion lines or a mil- or Fenty Beauty or whatever. Yeah. I'm just saying I think there are generations older mm-hmm. who don't know all of the things that the book of Rihanna contains. Rihanna. Yeah. Rih- yeah somewhere in the middle. Rihanna. <laughs> Rihanna. Yeah, sure. Um, That'll just be annoying for people yes. to, to hear us. Anyway, we might interchangeably go from Rihanna to Rihanna. Sorry. Um, I also think that what is really clever about what Rihanna has done is, listen, she's a global mega, mega star, right? Like, mega star, yes. Mega. I mean, there are only a handful or less of people who can like match her on status and name recognition and all the things. And yet, somehow, because, of course, it's a necessity in her business, parts of her business, she is or feels accessible. Like, there's nothing… When I look at Rihanna, I don't think remote. No. Right? The way that Beyonce is remote. Right. And she's made it a part of her brand. And it's embarrassing to always say brand, brand all the time, but I think that's really what it is, right? Right. She has agreed that when she turns up somewhere, and she does turn up, she's going to have a good time. This is why I love her first and foremost, because she adheres to my number one rule for celebrities, right? If you're going to a thing, have a good time. Yes. And she has a great time at the Costume Institute, but she also clearly has a great time in Ocean's 8. Yes. Right? She's never studying too hard or being too tense. And the thing with her having a good time is she also, like, seems to be where the good time is going to be had. Uh, Yeah. Like, if you walk in somewhere, if you're lucky enough to walk into the Met Gala, where do you want to be? At her table. 100%. Like, of course we love Beyonce. I don't mean for uh, to endanger us. No, but like, no. But we love Beyonce's work. That's right. And Beyonce, that's what she provides for you. She provides you her work and that's what you love. Mm-hmm. The difference is that Rihanna is providing you with her personality and yeah. you can love that. And that's, you pointed out the day drinking with Seth Meyers, which it should just be just another gag. Yeah. But it, like we've seen these on late night a million times, right? But it's Great. It's, it's great. So good. And it feels real. And she rolls her eyes at him halfway through. And it's it's fantastic. She and it's it feels off the cuff. Mm-hmm. It feels like she showed up, as you said, to have a good time to play. Mm-hmm. There is 
to me, what is different between Rihanna and Keanu Reeves is there is strategy there. She's definitely on a promotional, like, situation. Oh, yeah. She's promoting Fenty, the Maison. Um, and, um, but at the same time, all of these selections fit with Rihanna as we think we know her. Accessible is the word I keep coming back to in the writing as well, because you can't tell me what to do with my face if you're not engaging with me on the brushes and telling me like, yeah, sometimes you need a great liner and a flick because, I don't know, you're hungover. Um, Sometimes your skin isn't responding the way you need it to, so you need this cover-up. Like, as she always says about her clothes and about her own body, she's like, yeah, I'm thicker than I used to be. So I need things to, like, fit my curves. You know, it to me… There are so many comparisons, and obviously the Beyonce comparison comes up. And one of the reasons that we wanted to have this conversation is because there was a headline a few weeks ago that says uh, that Rihanna is now the world's wealthiest female musician. That's a few clarifications, but that she's wealthier than Madonna, Celine Dion, and Beyonce. So those are comparisons that come up. And I think that Rihanna's brand and that thing that you talk about in accessibility to me is about, it's not that big a deal. Like you can make mistakes where everything Beyonce does and has always done and her story has always been perfection, rehearsing down to a science when you're 10 years old. Yep. Rihanna's thing is like, eh, no big deal. I think we talked on the podcast not too long ago about the 777 tour. Yeah. Uh, the, the legendary now. Legendary <laughs> seven seven countries or seven continents in seven days. Yeah. Uh, on the airplane. It was a mess. People barely saw Rihanna on the plane. Right. That didn't stick to her because her whole thing is like, eh, it is what it is. Yeah. And what I love about that is that, you know, that was a long time ago. She was 23 or 24. But there was already Beyonce, to oversimplify the comparison. Yeah. There was already somebody being as perfect as possible. Mm-hmm. So why why try to compete in that arena? Yeah. Why not go the other way and go, eh, let's take yeah. it a little easy. But that's not to say, though, that the rollouts from the business perspective are professional and organized. Like, well, that's what the, but right? that's what the sort of Trojan horse of it is. Yeah. Rihanna is casual in a way that belies how precise and, and well executed her brands are. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fashion lines come out, they're on time, the construction is meticulous, um, you know, the makeup line, all of that is done with, there's a lot of thinking behind there. You can tell. It wouldn't have been this successful if there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. And yet, I guess, like, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm going to need you to sort of, like, qualify it and synthesize these thoughts that are coming through. But it just seems like she's having more fun doing it. I, I, like… You know, she's talking a lot lately about how hard she's working and they work until two o'clock in the morning and they just go back to her apartment and they work some more and they turn on some music and they just like crack open a bottle, but it's still work. And 
I don't know. Like there's there's a relaxedness about it. I mean, that I belies the professionalism. Like what? How, like what am I trying to say? No, I I think you're saying the right thing. I think the question is how, right? If you say, oh, we went back to the office and did some work. I mean, maybe it comes back to something. We had a guest a few weeks ago. Uh, Michael Grassi said that thing that you loved. It's either a yes or a no. Maybe Rihanna is really great at making decisions and knowing what she wants. So everything in front of her is either a yes or a no or an add this or not. Or maybe she's really good at separating work time and play time. Or maybe she needs enough play time to be able to work. Mm -hmm. It's clear that she is in the most sort of dictionary term that she's an extrovert, right? Which is to say she gains energy from being around other people. Would you say that's true? Yes. Like she laughs at things. She has been our entertainment in the audience of award shows because she's like giggling with Katy Perry. She gets something from that. She does. And she's uplifted people around her. So, you know, the people she's working with on the Maison and on her lines have been people she's worked with all along. She's elevated them to senior positions. She has, like, recognized their talent and has been like, come on the team, let's do this together. So it's a creative space, a creative, like, a creative community that she has been creating all along, building along the way. Well, maybe that's part of it, too. Um, Again, I'm sort of drawing a a line to between Rihanna and Beyonce that I don't necessarily want to, but she, maybe she's a group worker. You know, there are some people who really need to be solitary and create and like, uh, I don't know, have thoughtful moments mm-hmm. off the sides of yachts, right? Yeah. But if you work better in a group where there are ideas flying yeah. and you believe that six brains are better than one, which yeah. they often are, then it can be pretty easy to build up a head of steam and say, yeah, I like what you're saying. Yes, we're going to do Savage by Fenty. Yes, okay, the new Maison is going to look like this. It's a, she says in this Forbes article that going with LVMH was a no-brainer yeah. because they're a, a machine, I think she says, right? right. And I believe, I believe the no-brainer. I believe that yeah. she was like, yeah, okay, let's do that. So I suppose it's about... Is it about not angsting over your decisions that you make? That's the overwhelming thing to me is going like, what's the biggest deal? If Rihanna fails in this new line, if if it fails, she still has a billion successes behind her. I don't think she'd be like, wee, it failed. Yeah. But like, I don't, there's an attitude of not taking it that seriously, which is almost intoxicating. It is. And yet when they announced the LVMH deal, this is like the first Maison that LVMH has started from scratch, I think in something like 30 years. And she is the first black woman at the helm of a French fashion house. So she's not unaware of it. And you've heard, we have discussed like a lot of women talking, especially in these positions, the FODs, the first only difference, um, the FODs talking about there is a pressure, right? Yeah, there is a pressure, but I just, everything that we're talking about seems to speak to, I believe that there's a pressure, but we've never heard that come out of her mouth. No. And maybe she doesn't feel that pressure or maybe it just doesn't work for her. Like there are people who are motivated by that pressure. Mm -hmm. There are people who are very 
who use that as a touchstone, yeah. right? Like you have to be twice as good to be, to yeah. be whatever. And kind of what's amazing about Rihanna is she is rejecting that narrative, which is not to say there's anything to criticize because she, you know, it's done very well for a lot of people. Yeah. And I don't think she's saying you shouldn't, but there's something about, you know, even thinking back to, you know, remember like MTV Cribs things where she would go back to Barbados and so forth. Yeah. There's a casualness to it that feels real, that you believe that she was just there the other week. There's uh, a casualness to the ways that she has dealt with the rumors about the men in her life that is just not that troubled. You never see a photo of her when the paps are trying to get a picture of her where she's got her head down and she's studying it, not looking at them. No, she's sauntering out of a restaurant with a wine glass in her hand. Here we go. You're (laughs) going to take a picture and so forth. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not trying to, as I said, I'm not trying to draw dividing lines, nor am I trying to draw connections where there aren't any. But when I read that uh, little tidbit uh, that she is wealthier now today than Madonna and Celine Dion and Beyonce, I kind of thought, Oh, that's a funny comparison, Celine Dion. Mm-hmm. Who do you know who is more relaxed and into her own thing than Celine Dion? Yeah. Gives a performance every time. Of course. Performances are on point. Doesn't release a thing unless she knows it's going to be great. And yeah. like, I don't think there's such a thing as a Celine Dion flop ever. No. Right? There's been, um, yeah, a million albums and the Vegas shows and whatever. But she herself is a very silly, goofy person. Accessible. Feels accessible. Feels accessible. Yeah. I have a hilarious, a friend of mine has a hilarious picture of posing with Celine Dion maybe 10 years ago. She was a kid in like big, chunky kid sneakers. Yeah. And you get the idea that they just stood there and chatted for a while. Uh, And this is also an excuse to uh, link to my favorite video. Celine Dion is fucking amazing. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Which we will put in the show notes. But I don't think it's just, oh, this personality, that personality. I think maybe we've gotten so used to seeing type, very much type A personalities Mm -hmm. in entertainment, especially as people take on more projects, right? That we're not kind of used to seeing somebody who takes a different attitude toward it. Well, this is why I know that you keep saying, because of course there are going to be people like, stop comparing women and whatever. And this is not about that. What this is, is a conversation about work styles, success styles. I personally am more of like, I'm not trying to compare myself to Beyonce, but that's my thing. Like, you know, just grindstone, take it very seriously when I'm working, there's almost no lightness. Like it's, it's really, really, it's a real driven kind of, um, a type as you say. Yeah. You love a list. I love a list. I stick to a schedule. You know how I fucking love a schedule. It's my favorite thing. Yes. You love a schedule. If there is like a discrepancy in a schedule, nothing makes me, nothing sets me off like a discrepancy in the schedule. Right. And nothing sets me off more than when things don't go as scheduled. Right. Um, that's one specific work style and one type of way to achieve success. But I think what we're seeing is that there are many different ways to get there. Not only that, I think there's a lot to be said for working below the radar. Let's say, let's continue our comparison that we shouldn't be making. 
let's say that uh, Rihanna uh, gets things offered to her after Beyonce turns them down, who Beyonce gets every single thing that comes in the door, right? Yeah. Uh, let's go back five years just for the sake of argument. And she's getting the things that are not suitable for Taylor Swift or Katy Perry or whoever else is seen, in her, seen to be in her wheelhouse. And because she's less sort of fetid in that way, it reminds me a lot of our conversation about Seth Rogen. Like, while other people were looking other places, uh-huh. Rihanna was just getting shit done. And part of getting shit done in her world, I think, is forming your own tastes. I think there's something about having been Taylor Swift or Beyonce, where you are growing up in the business, where you have to check and recheck and make sure it's right. Mm-hmm. Possibly because, and this is a grand statement, but I'm just saying, Possibly because you don't have a gut yet. Yeah. And while they were doing that, Rihanna, who was getting offered maybe different things or fewer things or whatever, is developing her gut. Well, and what's come out of that is that her gut, her taste, as you said, that that word, is actually the trailblazing taste maker. Like, Beyonce as… Listen, Beyonce has blazed trails. Beyonce is Beyonce. But Beyonce isn't known to be like a style icon and advancer the way Rihanna is, right? Like when we talk about Met Gala, when we talk about like someone who's stylistically been able to straddle all these things, who has been able to like actually culturally define and move forward style, it's Rihanna. Well, because, and Taylor Swift hasn't either. Right, because that's where her focus is. Like, yeah. Rihanna is not the live performer that Beyonce is. Rihanna is never going to do a Coachella like Homecoming never. that we saw. It's yeah. not for her. It's probably not in her. But it means that she's able to put her focus in other places. And because she was being compared, because people were like, oh, well, she's no Beyonce. Nobody was really paying attention to, oh, but she really knows what the fuck she likes when it comes to, uh, you know, lingerie and makeup and whatnot. I'm browsing as we speak. I have a cart going of about nine things because she knows what she fucking likes. Yep. It's, it's, it's not either or, but it's different. And you're right. It doesn't, her casualness might belie that the work is getting done, but it's also because there aren't. 95 people writing think pieces all the time, present company included, yeah. about Rihanna's taste in in fashion or whatever, we sort of go, no, yeah, she knows better than we do. I will, I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. I, I will. Yeah. And like, part of that is knowing your own self. Mm-hmm. Right? Knowing your own taste. Especially in fashion, in style, which, as we've argued, is an art form, and she's certainly making that. 31 years old, the wealthiest female musician, now with her name on a French luxury fashion house. Uh, and we should point out, too, that, uh, you know, fem- wealthiest musician, but her money is not being made on music, necessarily. Yeah. Like, a lot of it is on everything else. And the other thing, because you brought it up when she was talking about her body, is that she's not afraid to make things accessible to people of all sizes, to make her fashion and makeup brands available to, as you say, to gay and trans people and be like, look how beautiful this is. Yeah. And let's make this work this way. It's not so narrow. 
No. And it's, I really do love what she's done, especially um, in terms of inclusion with like her makeup line, her lingerie line. Fenty, the Maison, has like much more of a range of sizes than traditionally a French fashion house would have. Seriously. You have to believe that that's what she asserted to them, where she was like, I'm only doing this if, you know, as she says, she uses the word thick, if thick girls can wear my clothes, because like, you know, I'm the sample. That's what she says. It has to fit me and look good on me. Now, by no means is... Rihanna, like, Rihanna's still a celebrity, beautiful, in her body. But um, as she says, like, you know, she's she's not as leaf well, as she was when she first hit the scene. Like She's a 16-year-old girl, yeah. sure. And she knows who her customer base is. Yeah. Like, you want to bring those people along with you. That's the other thing. You feel very secure that you can participate. I'm older than Rihanna. I can participate in her brands. And so, and people of various sizes or of various, yeah, diversities or whatever, that you're not going to be left behind just because she's going up to the lofty, uh, you know, LVMH brands or whatever. She's like, no, let's do this for people who haven't had it yet. Dollar figures aside. Amazing though, that like she had to show them uh, I yes. I mean, yeah. Like, it, it, yes, amazing. But also at the same time, that's why they hire her, right? Like that's why in in the age of a million influencers, that's why they go with somebody who is like her instead of like everyone else. Because she'll show them, as you say, like, here's what you're missing. Here's what you're leaving out. Well, yeah. And I'm also like, you know, we're treading on sensitive territory here, especially when we're talking about like, body positivity and all that. But like, I'm watching day drinking and I'm seeing that like, you know, she's like, she's wearing a strapless jumpsuit. Yes. And. Which I want. Me too. Like the fucking tartan pattern on that is amazing. But like, you know, her arms aren't little sticks. No. You know, her chest is abundant. Yeah. And there's a part where I think you said like, um, where's. Seth is singing her songs to her and she's like rolling around on the couch. She's bending over and you can see there's something to pinch around her stomach, which she has acknowledged, right? Like she has said, I'm thicker these days. Like, you know, my body has changed like many women, like certain times of the month, I'll go up a size. That's what I need. And there's no like, there's no, I don't see that when she's interacting with Seth, she's thinking how is the camera shooting me right now? No. Oh, right? Like, no. Like, that is what there's, there's, of course, there's a vanity. She's a celebrity. She wants to look beautiful, beautiful. But there's no vanity in that kind of, like, nitpicky perfection. But I think this is what I keep coming back to, and I don't have a better word for it. Yeah, she wants to look good, like we all do, right? You all do, of us. Uh, as somebody once said, like, you do your best with what God gave you. Yeah. Um, but... I also feel from her this, it feels authentic, this feeling of take it or leave it. Like, if you leave, oh, well. Like, if you leave because you can see my rolls in this jumpsuit, if you leave because I don't look the way I did in Pawn the Replay, like, bye. Mm -hmm. And it's so refreshing. It's so exciting because that doesn't happen that often no. in, a, in a town where everybody is supposed to desperately want all the people's attention. And at the best, at their best angles. 
Yes. And at right? their best, yeah. And throwing out pictures that don't look good and yeah. all those things. Like I, even me, like I'm on daytime television every single day. Sure. There's some like tops that I wear where I'll make sure when I'm sitting that if I'm slouching, like there's a certain angle where. Of course. You want to right? keep. Yeah. But Rihanna's not doing that. At least she wasn't when she was drunk with Seth, which I know she was drunk and not thinking about that. But there's something really endearing. And like, to me, a level of lovable that is just growing and growing that I'm watching her and I'm like, well, fuck, like, she doesn't care. To draw my not that strong connection between she and Celine Dion, I wonder if it has to do with growing up outside of that eye of having something of a formed personality before you ever land in the mainstream media. Uh, as Celine Dion, of course, was mm-hmm. raised in essentially the bubble of Quebec, even yeah. though they have their own star system. Uh, because it does sort of seem as though if you're going to be on camera, you're on camera every day for hours a day. But if she is essentially on camera for her entire life, let's say, at a certain point, yeah, you have to stop worrying. Or you have to give up something. If if that's the thing, right? If you have the same number of hours in the day as Beyonce, as everybody says, and if it's very evident that Rihanna carves out X number of hours for having fun and drinking and otherwise being amusing, then something has to give. And if what has to give is like obsession over one's looks or of the perfection of this or that being presented... I, I'm I'm kind of great with that, but maybe I'm oversimplifying. No, I don't think I, I I think it is very simple. I think internalizing it and living it is a whole other thing. Oh, I don't think she came to it overnight either. Do no, you? no, I don't. But I think coming to it at this stage and all of it peaking, if you will, in it's, this moment, that's a movement. <laughs> thank you. Um. Is, is really exciting and for the purposes of our podcast and for the purposes of the things that we want. I mean, she did sing a song called Work, 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 but for the purposes of work, it is something to study. Well, and I'll go one step further. Not that we need to be in the habit of blowing smoke at brands, but when you say, oh, she had to tell them, she had to tell LVMH to, you know, make things more accessible I kind of go, well, kudos to them for knowing who to choose without knowing who else they courted or whatever. And they didn't need to start, as you said, a new a new house from scratch. But kudos to them for going, no, this is the right moment and the right time and the right person. Well, they also saw that, like, she basically launched a makeup line that set all kinds of records. And, a, yeah. Yeah, and like, a, I mean. She, couple of lines by herself. Yeah. Like, essentially solo with no support. The makeup line was the big revolution. It was. Though, it right? was like big was launch the, out of nowhere. The beauty industry, which is a multi-billion dollar industry, which, by the way, in many ways, finances the fashion industry, yes, right? Like, uh, yeah. They yes. need the creams, they need the perfumes, they need the eyeliners to make the money so that they can make those very expensive clothes. Because also the the, the number of the population who purchases the, the fragrances yeah. and the makeup is exponential relative to the people who are buying the ready-to-wear. That's right. So in that sense, like they're looking at that and they're like, well, holy shit, she really changed the game. 
And she changed the game by very simply saying, I want to sell to every customer. Like, duh. (laughs) Right? Like... Yeah, why is it that difficult? Yeah, is is it so difficult? Yeah, but but people have made stupid decisions before. Well, I'll tell you something, and I'll own this on behalf of me and Sasha. A few years ago, we launched our own pajama line, which Mm. we were really excited about. The products were great. Mm -hmm. The designs, I mean, we thought were really great, but we offered small, medium, large. Right. And we did not think. So duh to us too. Like we were like, well, we're stupid in, in hindsight. Like, obviously this is a lesson learned. You're pointing out that the size range was smaller than could, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We, it wasn't as extensive as As what Rihanna's doing, what she was thinking about. And so, yeah, it happens where you get stuck in your own little model of, well, these are the sizes that are quote normally offered and then a Rihanna comes along and other people like her who support her, who are on her team with the resources and other companies who are doing similar, who are like, well, no, normal is lots and lots of people that you're not considering. Right. And it doesn't hurt anything to, to do that. In fact, it is a huge benefit. That's right. But if we go forward uh, in a Rihanna model, uh, as we've often used Beyonce as a talisman here, what you do with that mistake with any mistake is kind of let it roll and go on to the next, right? It's not a, it's not a self-flagellation. Yeah. It's just a like, yeah, okay. And next, like lesson learned, as you say. We all have a battleship. Do you want to pause and buy some lingerie? Yes. Actually, I'm not going to buy lingerie. Um, I'm going to buy new lipsticks. Her lipsticks are amazing. Oh, I, I need some lipsticks. Yeah. Okay, let's do Like it. the matte finish on them. Sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> and the range of colors. Like, yeah. Anyway, um, Rihanna, there, you missed my battleship reference, by the way. Um, well, it, okay. I just was immune to it because I'd heard Seth Meyers do it earlier. That's right. Okay. That's okay. what I was referring to. Okay. okay. Shop time. And finally, because it's our season finale, we wanted to get to some of your mail. We so appreciate the notes that you send every week. We don't always get to them. Uh, We especially love the ones where you argue with one or the other of us on the points that we've made or indeed where you bully us to (laughs) talk about things or watch things that we haven't gotten to. Um, So that's where we're beginning in the mailbag here. Uh, Do you want to start or should I? You go. Okay. Uh, So this is a short and sweet email from Amy, which reads... I'm obsessed with Fleabag, and now that I'm midway through season two, I'm officially obsessed with the hot priest. How have you guys not discussed the hot priest? That's it. That's the whole email. (laughs) Okay, so you've been on people for Fleabag. And I'm far from the only one. Like, Fleabag had a moment. Yeah. Um, And it's, yeah, it's great. Well, we, like, are, look, when we come back, it's going to be probably in the heat and thick of Emmy season. Yeah. It is Emmy season now, like voting just ended. Well, let's be honest. Everybody's, yeah, going to catch up on the things right. that they just voted for. To Yeah. Nominations are coming out in two or three weeks, and then the campaigning really begins when we know what the field is going to be, and then in September it's Emmy season. And a lot of people think that Fleabag might have a chance in a couple of categories. I 
absolutely think that could be the case. And it really is a tour de force because Phoebe Waller-Bridge is it from top to bottom. And you know that as soon as you watch it. And I have known so many people uh, who have said, oh, I turned it on and I wasn't sure it was going to be for me. And then 10 seconds in, I was like, whoa, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm in. You, of course, love Killing Eve. So I feel strongly that this is going to be for you. And again, I can't overemphasize enough, hot priest. Listen, I'm all in. I have a stack of things I need to watch. You always say this, though. Over the like, next, yeah, you, but that's what our hiatus is for. Yes, but we will all always have stacks. I'm just telling you, uh, you need to add flea bag to yours. And I'm not the one saying it. Amy is. Great. Great. Next, uh, here's an email from Aaron. Aaron wrote to us and mentioned something about the haircut, which we've been talking about. Right. I feel like we were the first on the haircut, or you were the first on the haircut. I feel good about that. Um, okay, so Aaron's writing about Fosse Verdon, um, another show that, you know, po- probably the yelling over Fosse Verdon isn't as loud as Fleabag, as in like, watch it, watch it, watch it. But here's what uh, Aaron is saying. Um, I love how the show speaks about work and women working. Obviously, it's showing a certain time, but how much of this is still going on? Gwen Verdon has to fight for everything she gets, audition after audition. The way she jokes off all the snarky comments. Oh, you got me, she says, after the asshole director asks if she reads choreography for the play or if she needs choreography for the play. While Bob Fosse makes a relative flop of charity and still gets cabaret. Everyone knows the name Bob Fosse, but how many know Gwen Verdon? Admittedly, I didn't until this show. But there she is, quietly working behind the scenes for his glory. I love all of it, and I would love to hear you t- your take. Aaron, thank you for watching Fosse Verdon with the lens of Show Your Work. Like, I mean, this is a lot of what we discuss, but in the culture, what we've all been discussing, like women at work being overlooked and the specific little indignities that women have to endure. Yes. And, uh, you know, sometimes what I love about that is sometimes uh, you talk to grownups, as you would say, and they (laughs) say things like, what's a microaggression? But when you phrase it that way, little indignities, it's so clear that, yeah, the things that you have been dealing with your whole life that have been there for generations. Um, So I love hearing that. I love hearing it too. And I do love hearing about the comparison. Like he has flops and then he gets this thing and she's kind of like clawing for every piece of credit, which we've discussed in different permutations all the time since the beginning of this show, little comparisons, the way a director behaves on set. If it's a man, it's, it's called passion. If it's a woman, it's called hysteria. They're difficult. Right? And, um, you know, we have seen it in the way women express their anger. Um, If she's angry, then she's unreasonable. If a man is angry, it just means he's assertive. He cares deeply. He needs a good product. He has standards. Um, Anyway, so... Yes, an example of this that Aaron has highlighted. So for those of you who haven't watched Fosse Verdon, FYI to that, keep your eye on it. I will confess that I have not watched Fosse Verdon yet, so uh, I will be putting that on my list. And it burned me because, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda was having, like, viewing parties at his house on Mm -hmm. Twitter. Uh, But I I needed to get there. Uh, I just, uh, I'm deep in Westworld now out of nowhere. I didn't know that was coming for me. Um, So... 
it's next on the list. Speaking of, and also Michelle Williams, like, I mean. Oh, we're going to get there. The fucking range. Yeah. Um, Okay, you're next. Okay, so my next email is from Shireen, and she wrote to us to tell us about how she's been showing her work at work. And we love these and we always ask, you always ask in particular, tell us how it applies in your workplace. And uh, Shireen, I'm not going to read this whole email because it looks to be about 2,000 words and it definitely starts in June 2017. But I just want to read a couple of highlights here. Uh, It says, uh, my work unit consisted of an unpleasant manager, let's call him Borat, a junior analyst who's a rock star, and myself, a seasoned senior analyst. Later on, as I'm scrolling through, we get somebody new on the team uh, who is referred to uh, the Beyonce of federal government. Uh, So I love this. This couldn't be, I'm reading this whole thing. Really, you should make this into a novel. Uh, At one point, it says, me and the rock star were nominated for and won an award and a deputy minister's award. Present day... I am in a position where I need to hire staff. The top two people on my list to call were the rock star and the superstar. The rock star has found her groove and will stay where she is. But in a few weeks, the superstar will join a small team I am managing. And I can't wait to work with her again. My performance review this year from the Beyonce ADM, I guess, uh, district manager, was amazing. I got a stellar review. I cried when I read it. Tears of joy. Suck on that, Borat. Good for you. Good for you. Keep telling us. Keep telling each other because as you said, those little indignities that women suffer, often you suffer in silence. Often you can't really say, hey, this bullshit thing just went down with Mm -hmm. Borat. So telling us and telling each other that not only, yeah, this bad thing went down, but also, and now I kick ass and I got to hire the rock star is empowering for all of us. And I say that sincerely. I love to hear this. And it's also like a bit of a generational shift of how it used to be when there was only one spot at the table for a woman. That's right. The woman. And many women of an older generation will say that their worst experiences at work were because of women. And we've heard it before. A lot of you sent us that article that was running around a few weeks ago about why do women bully other women at work. That's right. And the thing is, is that a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times, it's because there was only that one spot at the table. And it's human nature to be territorial. And when you're told you only have one spot, your inclination is to try and keep it. Well, that's it. It was a false premise, right? That was designed to keep there only being one woman there. Yeah. If you're told, oh, uh, a million girls would kill for your spot. Yeah. It implies there's only one spot. There's only room for you or whoever kills you to get here. And the thing is, of course, your immediate nemesis of, we don't, I don't want to take away from like how you were treated by another woman, but the big villain the overall villain is the system that made it so that she was the only one there and she didn't feel or wasn't in a position where she didn't feel threatened. And so I get it, like, you know, hate the bitch, 
But uh, yeah, it's a macro and micro level. Exactly. Right? It's yeah, on a micro yeah. level, it's inappropriate for you for anybody to treat you poorly. But on a macro level, it's question the source. Yeah. There's not just your spot. There's your spot and eleven others at the table. And if they belong to women, men, or rocket raccoon, um yep. great. Um, so next, uh, we had an email that was sent to us. Um, there's no name here. So, uh, it's about workplace lingo. So a few weeks ago, we talked about the lingo in the writer's room and how every specific workplace must have their own like little language. And we asked you to share some of yours with us. And so this is somebody who's living in Tokyo, Japan. Oh, this is from Katie. Okay. This is from Katie. And, um... This is uh, what she has to share with us. English and other ones that sound familiar but have different meanings and other terms that are just 100% Japanese. Viz, soundbite, clip, B-roll are all the same. Those are like, you know… Uh, visuals for visuals, Viz, yeah. soundbite, everybody knows. A clip and B-roll is uh, the visuals that are showing over the audio. Editor-in-chief is not the boss here in Japan, and EIC, from my observations, sleeps at his desk and has no input on stories. The person with the most authority in the newsroom is the Henseki, and our top boss would be a bureau chief in Canada is the Bucho. That's great. Bucho. Yeah. Okay. Probably the most hilarious lingo that still makes me laugh is what we call our top story of each newscast. It's the honky. That's amazing. I guess, okay, so this person clearly works in news in Japan. Right, right. Um, like hanky or rhymes with donkey, but honky. Example, what's the honky today? Trump's visit to a sumo match in Tokyo. Did the Henseki sign off on that? Not yet, but that's what the Bucho wants. Sorry. That's all of it in combination. Read that again. Right? Okay, what's the honky today? Trump's visit to a sumo match in Tokyo. Did the Henseki sign off on that? Not yet, but that's what the Bucho wants. I also love that it's all like titles. The Bucho wants this. The Henseki wants that. That's amazing. Um, and approximately 500,000 times a day, everyone says sumimasen. Excuse me. I have found a country more polite than Canada. Finally, we have these helpful signs all over the building because Japan, after all, is the country where people literally work themselves to death and there's a specific word for this, Hiroshi. So they are actively discouraging work lingo at work thought you might be interested in this. Wow. We've got like a real meta deep dive into work lingo that ended with too much work lingo, no good. Right. And uh, she supplied a picture that uh, with her permission we'll post for you guys to see as well because it's a pretty cool visual indication of how they're trying to enforce that, uh, that no work line. Um, and my last one is from Alexis. And it says, I am writing to give my proper thanks for providing wisdom and talking points for me to clap back at my old high school comrade. Uh, this is an argument that took place on, yes, Facebook, uh, about Michelle Williams when she had just announced that she had not been paid as much as Mark oh, Wahlberg. Okay. Remember? Uh, so I guess this poor soul who didn't know what he was in for wrote on Facebook, who the hell is Michelle Williams? How in the world could someone no one knows blame gender for not getting its paid as much as Marky Mark for the same movie? Oh, uh, yeah. Also, he said Marky Mark. So, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, she says, 
As someone who considers Michelle one of my favorite actresses and whose work and persona I can often relate to, I was offended on a level beyond dumb dude's gonna dumb dude. Cue the next 90 minutes of being dedicated to writing my screed, detailing the entire story, background, and my thoughts, or what I first thought were my thoughts before realizing I was only a beacon from which show your work was bestowed on me. (laughs) Anyway, with your help, I not only put Logan Unlucky in his place, but received compliments from several all-female people I knew back in my high school days. People I never would have associated with back then, but who were united in recognizing the male privilege that is so obviously seeping through his pores. I am not going to read the, uh, again, I want to say 2,000 words uh, that Alexis wrote to Logan Unlucky about about this, but I just want you to know that it begins with the phrase, phew boy, I've probably never commented on one of these fruitless political entanglements where everyone becomes more polarized by the end of it all, but this story fits right in the crosshairs of my interests of work, representation, celebrity, and equality. Yes, Alexis. Alexis, anytime you take down a supporter of Marky Mark, uh, I'm I'm with you. Or any dude bro being a dude bro on Facebook, I want to see it and hear it. I'm going to read this to myself like a bedtime story. Keep it up. Um, and finally, we've dedicated a lot of this season on the work of writing. We featured several writers. Um, thank you so much, Allison. Thank you so much, Taylor. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, and we've talked about writing as a profession doesn't necessarily have to get you a job as a writer. Right. The skill set is applicable in many different like creative ways. And of course, uh, thank you to Helen who, uh, was on our podcast talking about words, which of course writing words. That's right. You get the simile here. So, uh, we got this note from Adriana and Adriana wanted to share this with us about writing. Um, a degree in communications and journalism has led me to a position in a mining company in the ethics and integrity department. It takes quite a bit of skill to drive those kinds of messages to our audience from Jackie driving in the hauling truck to our Wall Street investors. It wasn't a straight path. I didn't have the stomach to become a journalist in our day and age, but it was my writing and all the strategic thinking it requires to do it effectively that got me this job. And now I'm delighted and relieved to know I can make a difference in people's lives. Well, some of my students, um, a couple of my students who are in arts and were writing and developing their writing skills have gone on to these kinds of positions where it's about communications and strategy and developing a, like a plan to go out and either present something, sell something, tell the story. It's really about storytelling. Absolutely. And everything that is about brands or marketing or uh presenting, introducing, even consulting is about being able to present a clear idea that you also have passion for. And you can tell the difference when you get a document where that's not there. I can tell the difference. Like in our lives, we do work with a lot of like PR professionals, marketing professionals, and the ones who are the most effective are often the ones who are well-written. Absolutely. Because they actually believe what they're saying or can find a way to believe it. And aren't just sending you the copy that they copied off 
the head office. So thank you so much, Adriana, for sharing that. Thank you all for sharing all of your stories and experiences and anecdotes and your work. And it truly feels like you are here with us every week while we're going through. We know a lot of you by name to say, oh, we got an email from so-and-so who did or didn't like the last episode. Uh, and we're always trying to, to make it good for you guys. So thank you so much. We'll let you know soon when the next season begins. And we're going to try and work on some more special guests to help us work out a lot of our work dilemmas or at least give us their best tips, their hacks their experiences so that we can take it back to our workplaces. And if there's something that is changing at work, if there's a topic that we haven't hit on because it's happening in your work world and not ours yet, or something that hasn't come up in Hollywood, send it to us. We would love to know and be able to talk about that when we return. Until then, thank you so much. Have a great summer. Check us out where you get your podcasts. Listen to back episodes. Oh, they're so good. Oh, we fought. <laughs> Can we say that? Yeah, our episodes were good. Our yeah. show is good. Absolutely. Um, check out our back episodes anywhere you, where you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us. Leave us comments. Leave us reviews. Thank you so much for your support. We'll be back next season. Show your work. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.